This morning we come needing your touch, needing your help. We pray back the words of David, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Or we want your word to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And so now as we open it, I pray that we recognize that the, the book that we hold in our hands is not simply words on a page, but your very word spoken to us. So I pray that we carry with it the weight, the authority, the transforming truth that is reserved for your word. So as we navigate these next few moments, would it illuminate our hearts? Would we be nourished by it? Would we be filled to the overflow with your word? And so we, we can't do it on our own. We need you. And so we confess at the outset right now that we need your leadership, your guidance as we navigate through this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn out uh, this little uh, yellow sliver of paper, and you've got a few blanks there, just four short little blanks there. And let's navigate through these waters together. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 53. The bulk of our time will be in Mark chapter 7. But let's read 53 through the end of the chapter together to get some context. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region, bringing to him the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well." So right at the outset, we see that Jesus in this moment, in verse 53 through the end of the chapter, has just calmed the raging storm, right? He's calmed the raging storm by entering into the disciples' boat. He's just done what after that? He, this is the walk on water story. He walked on the water, right? He walked on water. He got into the boat. The storm was calmed. Right before that, he broke the bread and fed the 5,000. So remember, in just a short period of time, Jesus has entered a boat, calming the storm, walked on the water, and broken a few pieces of bread and two fish, and fed the multitudes of people. So Jesus is continuing on in a full ministry program here, and he continues on crossing the other side on his way. And you see that, I mean, pretty much this guy is just ping-ponging back and forth over the lake. Everywhere he's going, the sick are being brought out to him. I mean, think about this, on mats, people are bringing them out from the cities on mats to meet Jesus and just touch the fringe of his garment. And you see this beautiful phrase at the end of the, cha end of the chapter. And as many as touched it were made well. As many as came in contact with Jesus, as many reached out their hand and received the healing power of Jesus, as many that touched it were made well. And in this, you continue to see Jesus' compassionate heart going to people, loving people, caring for people, at times retreating, but always around people coming to him, pressing against him, just for a moment. And I know that we have talked about this over and over. But for a moment, imagine yourself in Jesus' shoes everywhere you go, hurting people follow. Everywhere. To the point you really never seem to get a break, that they're just constantly, constantly, constantly bringing you the hurting, the weak, the worn down, always just on stretchers coming out from the cities, meeting you, even when you're fatigued and tired. Here they come, continuing to bring people to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? 
continue to heal, continue to love, continue with this compassionate heart to love and care for people. And so right now, we're just going to put a pin in this because we've talked about it previously, and we'll pick it up again. But the bulk of our time, we want to spend on Mark chapter 7 in verses 1 through 13, and really a two-pronged sermon of this week and next week when you look at the totality of this uh, short passage. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, they were unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels with downing couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. Verse 9, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever talks ill or does ill towards father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. So the first thing that you see on, <coughs> excuse me, the first thing that you see on your outline is the Pharisees elevated tradition over scripture. The first issue that we see is the Pharisees had elevated their traditions, their traditions over scripture. The Pharisees have come to Jesus and you know they're, they're looking for an opportunity to accuse they're looking at Jesus, trying to find a way in which they can, they can uh, accuse him or pull him down or somehow trip him up in some way. And so the Pharisees come to Jesus, they look at him, and they recognize that his disciples are eating with defiled or unclean hands. Now, the Pharisees are not necessarily con concerned about the hygiene of his disciples, but they are concerned with the teacher that would allow the disciples to eat with defiled hands. And this is essentially like the, disciples, uh, the Pharisees coming to Jesus and saying, how could you, a teacher of the law, a powerful man who's done incredible things, how could you have disciples that would not wash their hands? Who, who do you think you are? I mean, I've, we've heard all this stuff, but here I'm looking at you with my own eyes and your own disciples are not even washing their hands properly. How, how, how are you expecting to do much good work? What, what are you doing? I mean, this is essentially like you showing up at a manor school and seeing the student, students doing this at the table, and you say, what kind of manor school is this? They've got their elbows on the table. They're eating with the wrong spoon. Is this a real manor school? I mean, it's essentially going up to that teacher and saying, how could you teach manners when your own students can't even do it properly? And so here the, uh, the, the Pharisees go to Jesus with an accusing tone to say, Jesus, who, what are you doing? I mean, are these stories all true? But here I'm looking at you, your disciples are breaking bread with unclean, defiled hands, essentially defiling everything around. How do you perceive that you should be doing this? Now, as we look at this closer, we see that the Pharisees, they held tightly to these traditions. You see in your text how often Jesus would point to your traditions, your laws, 
your commands. Not scripture, your commands, how highly and closely you hold to these things. And the Pharisees, through their oral tradition, had passed down how to not be defiled by all these different things. God had given the the law, which was this beautiful law, and the, the Pharisees, through oral tradition, had created the Mishnah, which they said was like a fence around the law. They were so concerned about breaking the law that they put up this huge fence around it so that they would never get close to it. So they did all these volumes upon volumes upon volumes of works written about how to do all this stuff so they wouldn't break the single law. I mean, even in the washing of your hands and washing of cups, volumes upon volumes written called the Mishnah. I mean, essentially, if you were eating with a cup, it had to be washed in one way. But if it had a rim around that cup, it was washed in another way. If it was a flat piece of a plate, it was washed in one way. But if it had a rim and was facing a different way, it was washed in a different manner. If you went to the marketplace and maybe you touched something or rubbed shoulders with somebody who was a Gentile, you had to take a a full bath and bathe in a certain way so that you would no longer be defiled. This is what the Pharisees were after, to, to be ritualistically clean. In the midst of seeking after these walls in which they did not want to touch the law, they missed the heart and intention of the law. And so the Pharisees here are coming to Jesus frustrated by Jesus' apostles not washing their hands, not doing the things that make them ceremonially clean. And you see, Jesus does not take much time to discount them. He simply says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? These people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And he gives them another example of how they have missed entirely the point of the law. He calls out Corbin. He talks to them about Corbin. And this is a a very strange in our 21st century uh, land to think about Corbin. But what Corbin essentially is saying is that the people could designate their, their stuff, their estate, all their belongings, their finances. They could give it to the church, give it to the Lord. They could essentially say, all my estate, all my money, all my stuff is Corbin. I vowed it to the Lord. It's pledged to the Lord's service. And so it can't be used for anything else. Now, I can use that however I want, but if my parents, who I've got a command from the Lord to honor my father and mother, but if my parents need help because I've vowed it to the Lord, sorry, mom and dad, you're out of luck. So essentially, by giving it to the Lord, by giving it Corbin status, they're taken out of their responsibility, their God-mandated responsibility to take care of their parents. And so you see, Jesus is upset with them because they say, hey, you're doing this good thing. You're pledging your stuff to the Lord. But at the same time, you're doing it so that you can keep all your stuff and not have to do your sacred responsibility of taking care of your parents. You see how the Pharisees had elevated tradition and these other laws above Scripture. And Jesus is quite upset, quite frustrated with the Pharisees, elevating Commandments elevating their tradition over the truth of Scripture. As you come at this, friends, you can obviously see Jesus' frustration in their tradition. And if we're not careful, we also can fall into this category that none of us in this church and in this place, watching online, would ever say that we, we feel that we're pharisaical. One of the most difficult things to self-diagnose is our own pharisaical or self-righteous attitude. It's incredibly difficult for us to see in ourselves. And so when we look at this, we say, Mark, we don't have Corbin nowadays. Last I checked, 
There's no Corbin laws. We're not under Corbin. We're not vowing our stuff and not taking care of our parents. That This stuff is just a long time ago, and so we have no need of it today. Why are we even still talking about Corbin? Let's move on to something else. But if we're not careful, like we've done in previous week with the disciples, we can easily point the finger and say, disciples, why did y'all miss it? Pharisees, how can you miss it? Over and over, the Lord is right here, and you're more concerned about washing your hands than you are about the heartbeat of God. And, and if we're not careful, friends, we can easily shift into the gear of tradition and all of these outside cultural influences rising higher than Scripture has a place in our hearts. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can let good, right things. There is nothing wrong with tradition. Tradition is good and at times can lead us closer to the Lord. There's nothing wrong, inherent, and evil about tradition. But if we are not careful, tradition can be raised up higher and to the point of being supplanting Scripture. Can I tell you two places in which I've seen this work out as I thought about this? Is growing through college, I Every new year, I, I desperately wanted to get more into God's word and read God's word. And so I did what most believers do. I, I got on a scripture reading plan, a Bible reading plan to read through the Bible in a year. And it was going great the first day, Genesis 1, 1 through 4, and read it, check it off. Genesis 5 through 7, check it off. And there came a point week after week reading it where I began to think, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Checking those boxes. See all those check marks? Checking them, checking them, checking them, checking them. There came a point where I felt a little bit self-righteous. I'm just checking boxes of my Bible reading. I've got myself together. I've got my plan together. And I began to just feel like this, this tradition, this churchism, this just going through the motions was just a thing that I was doing instead of saying, Lord, would your word today lead me and guide me and change me and affect me? It became a check mark of my faith rather than something that I was wanting to nourish on and feast on. This checkbox became a way to feel self-righteous and holy before the Lord. We know that's not valid in any way. Another way in which I saw this play out is, do you know that at the end of every service here at First Baptist Church, for as long as I can remember, we do the exact same thing. And can you hear me say that I love it? Before you get upset and write your notes on the sheet of paper, I love it. I love the fact that we stand up and together we sing the doxology together. I absolutely love that beautiful time at the end of every service. But I'm confessing for myself, not you, that there are some times that that tradition of week after week standing up and singing the doxology, it just gets lost. I stand up and the organ begins to roar, thank you, joy, and we begin to sing that familiar hymn. And there's that time where I start saying, well, it's time to pack up my notes, time to get things together. Where's my stuff? I got my wallet. I got my keys. Oh, where am I going to go to lunch? You begin to think, and it's time to go. That's the, that's the song. It's like Pavlov's bells. It begins to say, now it's time to go, right? Friends, do we recognize what we're doing? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That this point in the service is not just a, a check box that we get it over with. It's a point in which we can say, Lord, we praise you for what we've just done and accomplished and seen happen in our Bible fellowship classes in our church. We say, thank you, Lord. And if we're not careful, the traditions that we enjoy, the things that we do can become so ingrained that we miss the very purpose by which they were established. Our getting up in the morning and opening and feasting on God's word, our prayer times can just become a normal part of our religiosity that we miss Jesus right smack dab in the middle of it. Friends, I, I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult to look at ourselves and say, Lord, where, where am I self-righteous? 
Where are those places in my heart that I feel this, this uh, salvation by hand washing? That I feel justified in the things that I am doing with my, with my religiosity or my religion. I don't, I don't want that. I want Jesus. And we do that by allowing God's word to be the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our pathway. That this word becomes our north star that leads us and guides us. And when the pendulum begins to swing too far in the other direction, we say, no, Lord, bring me back to your authority of your word daily. Friends, in anything, we could go through a laundry list of traditions in your home and your family and your circumstance. In the moment that we allow tradition the moment that we allow other things and other influences from TV, from internet, from anything to supplant the word of God, we are in error. When we allow other voices, other things to simply rise up above God's holy word in our lives, friends, we are off base. That we always allow God's word to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, to be the authority by which we build our house of faith. The Pharisees elevated tradition over scripture, but you see Jesus' rebuke that the Pharisees' hearts and actions were disconnected. Jesus shared in uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 6, and he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. And looking at the Pharisees, he made a, a staggering claim. He said, you hypocrites. He continued to say, this people, they honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. This word that Jesus has used for the hypocrites, for the Pharisees, it means an actor. Jesus calls the Pharisees actors, that they're pretending to be holy and righteous and religious, but in the end of the day, their hearts are far removed from the heartbeat of God. And I want us to feel the compassion of the Lord. Over and over again, you see the compassion of Jesus running to sinners, running to sheep without a shepherd, constantly going to the downcast and the hurting. But also feel this conviction from Jesus. It's dual fold. He's compassionate. But this is a convicting verse that we need to examine our hearts and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew that right spirit within me. That at times we can easily fall into that camp, especially if we've grown up in church, been in church for so many years. We can wash our hands in the tradition of our religion and feel justified and saved by anything but the blood of Jesus. And so we, we've got to check ourselves and ask Lord, am I honoring you with my lips? Am I saying the right things? At times, we know how to act with the best of them, to come into church and put on the bright, the bright smile and say the words, the right vernacular of the Christian language. We know how to say the right words, but is our heart chasing after Jesus? We know how to come in and play all the parts that everything is together. We've got all the motions right in place. We're going through the religious motions of everything is okay. But friends, are you? Can I tell you, it's okay to say, I'm not okay. It's okay to say, I don't have it together. I'm tired of putting on the mask of religious motion and say, Lord, I need you. I don't need to wash my hands anymore. I need you, Lord. 
Friends, you see the Pharisees elevating tradition over scripture, but you also see the heart and the actions of the Pharisees disconnected. They're honoring the Lord with their lips, but their heart is just so far away. And I pray that that's not true for me. I pray it's not true for us, but we can only find it through self-examination, through praying, Lord, would you reveal it and would you rid it in my heart? If you look at the bottom of your outline, you see Luke 6.45. As a bridge from this week into next week, let this verse soak into your heart as we leave this morning and we walk into this week, but also next week. Luke 6 says this, the good person out of the treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So friends, as we walk and we talk about next week what defiles a person, This is an ultimate heart check for our souls. Are our hearts seeking after Jesus? Are our hearts nourished by this word? Are our hearts nourished by everything else this culture provides to be nourished by? Only you can diagnose your own heart to the Lord's leadership. And I pray this week that you would seek after the Lord's guidance in your heart and ask him those simple words, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Let's pray together. Lord, help us. We again come to your word asking for your leadership and your guidance in our lives that you would help us, that we just desperately need you. We thank you for the way that you continue to love and care for us, that you provide salvation for us when we don't deserve it. As we come to this time of invitation, this is another time in the service in which we can go through the motions to sing the last closing song and be thinking about a thousand things other than what the words that are coming out of our lips and how we're responding in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would slow us down, that you would pause our hearts and tune them well to your frequency to hear from you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.